Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Welcome everyone today to the Stand By My Servants podcast, and today we're going to focus on the teachings of Elder Ronald A. Rasband. Now in the past, I've had a co-host or a guest, and we've gone through these teachings together, and it just didn't work out that way today, and so I hope you're okay with me going solo for a little while. But as we talk about and discuss the teachings of Elder Ronald A. Rasband, One of the things I'd like to do is just introduce a theme as we start. And I think it's something that's, I don't know, it's just really interesting to me. And I think the way that I'd like to begin is by sharing with you an experience that I read a few years ago in a book called, no, the book was actually called Divine Signatures by Elder Gerald Lund at the time. And he told the story of Elder Robert B. Stewart, who at the time was a member of the Second Quorum of the Seventy. He said that when President Stewart served a mission as a mission president in Brazil, he often sent the newly arriving missionaries out into the streets immediately. He wanted them to have the experience of getting their feet wet by knocking on doors within hours of arriving in the mission field. And by the way, I exit out of that story just for a second to say this is what I remember, and many of you remember that too, that it was important for new missionaries back in the day to be out on the streets contacting within hours of arriving on their mission. And so back to the story. The mission was located in Sao Paulo, and one of the new missionaries had just arrived by bus from northern Brazil. After a nice meal in the mission home, this green missionary and his trainer launched themselves into the streets of Sao Paulo to do some tracting and street contacting. The trainer explained that he would knock on the door of the first home that they came to, but the second door would belong to the new missionary. The young missionary protested, arguing that he was too afraid to engage in such a task. Of course, anyway, nevertheless, the companion was persistent, and the new missionary did knock on the door of the second home. Now, Elder Lund further explained, when this young elder knocked on the second door, the senior companion stepped back and indicated for him to proceed. He shrank back, and when the door opened to the young elder's astonishment, the person standing there was his older sister. She had run away from home three or four years earlier. The family had not heard from her since and had no idea where she was or even if she was still alive. One can imagine the sweetness of that reunion and the tears of joy that were shed that night. And then as he concluded this story, Elder Stewart said two things that deeply impressed him. He said not not only was his sister, this missionary, one of the first non-members he contacted in the mission field, but she also became his first convert baptism. He then added, when you think about that elder Lund, remember at the time that there were between 13 and 14 million people in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Or in other words, just think, that mission president could have sent that missionary anywhere in that city. And where does he send him? Right to where his sister was living. And then Elder Lund further explained, when things like this happen, the world tends to use the word like coincidence or good fortune to explain them. Or as the popular saying goes, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. 
But in my experience, it's just the opposite. What we call coincidence is God's way of letting himself be known. Sometimes the Lord sends his blessings in such a highly unusual, dramatic, or precisely timed manner that it might be likened to a divine signature. It is as though the Lord signs the blessings personally so that we will know with certainty that it comes from him. And in doing so, God not only gives us the blessings, but at the same time, he also strengthens our faith and deepens our testimony of him. I'm a firm believer that God orchestrates events around us every day. I know his angels are involved in that, and that there are small miracles that surround us. Here's just another example. Another meeting with yet another missionary family. It was in the fall of 1970. Elder Monson attended a state conference in Grand Junction, Colorado. So we're talking about President Monson here. During the conference weekend, the stake president asked Elder Monson if he could meet with Hale and Donna Larson in regards to their missionary son, Mark. Recently, Mark had announced to his parents that he was going to terminate his mission and come home early. While Elder Monson met with the distressed parents, he said, where is your son serving? And they replied, Dusseldorf, Germany. Elder Monson placed his arms around brother and sister Larson and said, your prayers have been heard and are already being answered. With more than 28 state conferences being held this day by the general authorities, I was the one who was assigned to your stake. He explained that he would be in Dusseldorf next week and would meet their son. He did meet with Elder Larson, who did commit to completing his mission, and he did so. You know, President Monson had so many experiences like this in his life over and over again. And I know, once again, these are the teachings of Elder Rasband today, but we're just going to stay with this theme of divine design for a minute. And by the way, I wrote an article on this a few years ago. The article was entitled, Tender Mercies and Thomas S. Monson. And you could just Google that and the article will come up. But it really is just great stories of President Monson's life and how these type of you know, what the world would call coincidences just were occurring almost every day, it seems like. For example, years ago, President Monson was approached by Folkman Brown, the director of Mormon relationships for the Boy Scouts of America. Having learned that President Monson was on his way for a lengthy assignment in New Zealand, Brother Brown explained that his sister Belva Jones had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Belva had lost her husband to cancer just a year earlier and wasn't sure how to tell her son Ryan, who was serving as a missionary in New Zealand at the time, that she was going to die from the same disease that took her husband, Ryan's father, just a few years earlier. More than anything, she wanted her son to stay in New Zealand and finish his mission strong. But how could she relay this message to her son? Folkman asked President Monson, who would be in New Zealand the following week, if he would be able to deliver the tragic news personally. President Monson did accept that difficult responsibility, and shortly after arriving in New Zealand, he met personally with Elder Ryan Jones after a missionary meeting held adjacent to the New Zealand temple. President Monson tenderly explained the tragic news, and tears were shed by the missionary and President Monson. But then with an assured handshake, Elder Jones told the apostle, Tell my mother, I will serve, I will pray, and I will see her again. As soon as President Monson arrived home from his assignment in New Zealand, he was attending the Lost River State Conference in Moore, Idaho. 
And then President Monson shared the following. He said, as I sat on the stand with the stake president, my attention was drawn almost instinctively to the east side of the chapel where the morning sunlight bathed the lone occupant on the front bench. I said to the stake president, who is the sister upon whom the sunlight is resting? I feel that I should speak to her today. He replied, her name is Belva Jones. She has a missionary son in New Zealand. She's very ill and has requested a blessing. Now, President Monson said this. Prior to that moment, I had no, I had not known where Belva Jones lived. My, my assignment that weekend could have been to any of one of 50 stakes. Yet the Lord, in his own way, had answered the prayer of faith of a, the prayer of faith of a concerned mother. We had a wonderful visit together. I reported word for word the reaction and the resolve of her son Ryan. A blessing was provided. A prayer was offered and a witness was received. Belva Jones would live to see her son complete his mission. And this privilege she enjoyed. And just one month prior to her passing, his mission was completed and Ryan returned home. Now, not every story, not every one of these tender mercies or divine signatures is always that profound. Sometimes they're super simple. And there may not even be any real purpose in the connection other other than just to preserve or restore or strengthen a relationship. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, Janie and I were riding in our car, running some errands during the Christmas season. We were Christmas shopping for our family. And as we drove through town, there was a little debate in the car between us on if we should go to Sam's Club first or Sportsman Warehouse. And we went back and forth on that a couple of times. And finally, I just said, let's just go to Sportsman Warehouse first. Sportsman's Warehouse is just right here. So we walked in. And just as we walked in the entrance of that store, out came Rainy Rogers, one of our great friends from McKinney, Texas. Rainy and his family and our family were very close. Hadn't seen him in quite a while. And here he was just walking out of the store. He, had, he was up from Texas to visit his sons that were at BYU at the time and their families, and he just happened to be in Sportsman Warehouse. Now, once again, had we gone to the other store first, we would have never even seen him. Had we been one or two minutes late, we would have never seen him, you know, or, or you know, if our clocks were a little bit different. But we, were, we saw him and we were able to get, connect. Now, I wish I could tell you that when we met with Rainey, he handed us some secret envelope or he had to share some universal, some secrets of the universe or or some profound gospel truth that an angel told him that he needed to tell us, but it wasn't anything like that. It was just a reconnection of old friends, and it was just a reminder that the Lord cares about relationships. And he was willing to orchestrate a few events so just two families that loved each other and hadn't seen each other in a while could, could reconnect, and it was just that simple. But once again, without divine intervention, it wouldn't have happened. Now, just recently, maybe within a week or two, Janie and I were getting on it. We boarded an airplane in Dallas. We had gone there to visit family, and we're heading home. And as we sat on the airplane, walking down the, the aisle of the airplane was someone who actually didn't look that familiar at the time, but he was holding a bucky sack full of barbecue sandwiches, and you Texans know exactly what I'm talking about. So I just thought I'd make a joke and say, hey, if you're going to get on the plane with those barbecue sandwiches, you got to share them with all of us. 
And then right when I said that, the man holding the sack said, Oh my gosh, the Ogletrees. This is PJ Rogers. Who's PJ? He's Rainey's brother. And uh, PJ's a good friend also back from the, the, our hometown of McKinney, Texas. And I, we said, hey, where are you sitting? And he goes, I'm sitting right next to you guys. His, his seat was right next to us. Now, once again, on a plane with 300 people, PJ could have sat anywhere. In fact, if Janie and I were talking or looking out the window or something when he boarded, we would have never even known he was on our plane. But not only was he on the same flight, but he was also uh, in <laughs> the seat right next to us. And here he was at the time, or is, a professor at BYU-Hawaii. I'm a professor at BYU. And so we sat and talked about that for an hour or so and, and just reconnected and talked about some things, family, church, the gospel, whatever. But once again, it wasn't like there were any deep, dark, dark secrets. He didn't have a message from an angel to share with us. It was just friends reconnecting, and it was a reminder that the Lord does care about relationships. There's no question about it. He does. So so all of that to say, okay, that was the introduction for what we want to talk about here for a minute, and that's Elder Rasband's talk by divine design. This is just a topic that I'm just so interested in. So he quotes Elder Maxwell that none of us ever fully utilizes the people opportunities allocated to us within our circles of friendship. You and I may call these intersectings a coincidence. This word is understandable for mortals to use, but coincidence is not an appropriate word to describe the workings of an omniscient God. He does not do things by coincidence, but by divine design. You know, and back to Gerald Lund for just a second, but some say that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And Brother Lund says, no, no, no. That's God's way of revealing himself. And I think Elder Maxwell is kind of teaching us the same type of principle, um, that really things aren't done by coincidence, or we could even say by accident or by serendipity, by an omniscient God. No, he is in the details of our lives, and he is orchestrating things. Now back to Elder, Ma- Elder Rasband. He said, Our lives are like a chessboard, and the Lord moves us from one place to another, And if we are responsive to spiritual promptings, looking back, we can see his hand in our lives. And then he quotes Joseph B. Worthlin, who told of the occasion when President Monson said to him, there is a guiding hand above all things. And often when things happen, it's not by accident. One day when we look back at the seeming coincidences in our lives, we will realize that perhaps they weren't so coincidental after all. And I can't look, wait to look back one day and, and uh, find out more about some of these interesting happenings in our lives where we run into someone in a f- place far away from home and wonder once again, why did the Lord orchestrate that? I can't wait to find out when he says, you know what? We all love each other here. And I wanted you to have the experience of being with someone that you love for a little while. Some months ago, Elder Rasban said our granddaughter joined a youth group to tour several church history sites. The final itinerary noted that she would be passing through the very area where her missionary brother, our grandson, was serving. Our granddaughter had no intention of seeing her brother on his mission. However, as the bus entered the town where her brother was serving, two missionaries could be seen walking down the street. And one of the missionaries was her brother. Anticipation filled the bus as the youth asked the bus driver to pull over so that she could greet her brother. In less than one minute, 
After tears and sweet words, her brother was back on his way to fulfill his missionary duties. We later learned that her brother had been on that street for less than five minutes, walking from an appointment to his, his car. Heavenly Father can put us in situations with specific intent in mind. He does so in my life, and he does so in yours, and he did in the lives of our dear grandchildren. Now, once again, when this sister and her brother connect, somewhere I'm imagining in the New England area or somewhere where we have a lot of church history, probably no deep, dark secrets were shared, no visit from an angel with a special message. It was just two siblings who love each other, and the Lord orchestrated an event so that they could spend some time together. Elder Rasban continued in this talk that each of us is a precious and each of us is precious and loved by the Lord who cares, who whispers, and who watches over us in ways unique to each of us. He is infinitely more wiser and more powerful than mortal men and women. He knows our challenges, our triumphs, and the righteous desires of our hearts. And then he tells this story over a year ago. I was walking through Temple Square. And one of the sister missionaries approached me and said, Do you remember me? I am from Florida. She told me her name, Sister Adia Chillin. Yes, I remembered meeting her and her family. Her stake present has suggested that we visit her family. It became apparent that we were there for their daughter, Adia, who had not been baptized. After our visit and more than a year of teaching and fellowshipping, Adia was baptized. After we visited Temple Square, she wrote me a letter. She said, I know with all my heart, Heavenly Father knows each of us and that he continues to place us in each other's paths for a reason. Thank you for being one of my missionaries, for reaching out to me and finding me five years ago. Adia also sent me her conversion story recounting the divine coincidences which have taken place in her life that led to her baptism, confirmation, and serving on Temple Square and then her recent temple marriage. Was it a mere coincidence that the stake president had steered us to the Chillin home or that she and I would later meet on Temple Square? Adia's testimony bears record that this was all part of God's divine design. I can't resist. I've got to share another one of these now. So now I'm going to Elder Rasband's book, Led by Divine Design, which I recommend to everyone. Page 90. He said, during the final months of our mission, we experienced an event that taught once again this profound principle that each of us is known and loved by God. Elder Maxwell was coming to New York City, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, was coming to New York City for some church business, and we were informed that he would also like to have a mission conference. We were so pleased to have this opportunity to hear from one of the Lord's chosen servants, and I I was asked to select one of our missionaries to provide the opening prayer for the meeting. Now, just to exit out of the story just for a second, I uh, this story was also uh, in an interview with Heidi Swinton. The Razvan shared this story on the Mormon channel and shared of how there were, there were two missions in New York at the time. And Elder Maxwell wanted a missionary from one mission to give the opening prayer and from another mission to give the closing prayer. Elder Razvan said, I might have randomly picked one of the missionaries to pray, but felt to ponder and prayerfully select one whom the Lord would have me ask. In going through the missionary roster, the name came boldly. The name boldly stood out to me. He said it was almost as if it were in neon lights. Elder Joseph Apia from Accra, Ghana. He was the one that I felt the Lord wanted to pray at the meeting. 
Prior to the mission conference, I was having a regularly scheduled interview with Elder Apia and told him of the prompting I had received for him to pray at this meeting with Elder Maxwell. With amazement and humility in his eyes, he began to weep deeply. Somewhat surprised by his reaction, I I started to tell him that it was all right and that he didn't have to pray if he didn't want to, when he informed me that he would love to offer the prayer and that his emotion was caused by the love he has for Elder Maxwell. He told me that this apostle is a very special is very special to the saints in Ghana and to his own family. Elder Maxwell had called his father to be the district president in Accra and had sealed his father and mother in the Salt Lake Temple. Now I didn't know any of that of what just he says I didn't know any of what I just related about this missionary or his family, but the Lord did, and he inspired a mission president on behalf of one missionary to provide a lifelong memory and testimony-building experiences. Elder Apia offered a wonderful prayer and made a humble contribution to the meeting where Elder Maxwell taught the missionaries of the attributes of Jesus Christ. And all who were there will never forget the feelings of love they experienced for their Savior. The next talk that I'd like to share with you is, in a way, parallel to the one we've just been addressing by divine design. But This one is called, Behold, I am a God of Miracles. In fact, Elder Rasband is, from his talk, uh, quoting the Savior. I'll read this to you. He said, His atonement, culminating with his resurrection after three days in a borrowed tomb, stands as the greatest miracle in human history. For behold, he pronounced, I am a God of miracles. Well, anyway, he gets into that great uh, part of Scripture in, in the Book of Mormon, meaning in Mormon chapter 9, asking if miracles still exist in our day. These verses make it very clear that the reason why miracles don't exist among the children of men is because they lack faith, but that there are miracles that abound. No question about that. In fact, Elder Razban testifies in this talk. He says, Miracles, signs, and wonders abound among the followers of Jesus Christ today in your lives and in mine. He said, miracles are divine acts, manifestations, and expressions of God's limitless power and an affirmation that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, who created the seas, can calm them. He who gave sight to the blind can lift our sights to heaven. And he who cleansed the lepers can mend our infirmities. He who healed the impotent man can call us to rise up with come follow me. And then he said this, Many of you have witnessed miracles more than you realize. They may seem small in comparison to Jesus raising the dead, but the magnitude does not distinguish a miracle, only that it came from God. Some suggest that miracles are simply coincidences or just sheer luck. But the prophet Nephi condemned those who had put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning that they may get gain. Now he tells this great story. He said, Last fall, Sister Razban and I were on our way to Goshen, Utah for a worldwide face-to-face event being broadcast to over 600,000 people in 16 different languages. The program was to focus on the events of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ with questions submitted by young adults from around the world. Sister Razban and I had personally reviewed the questions. They gave us the opportunity to testify of Joseph Smith as a prophet of God, the power of revelation, 
in our lives, the ongoing restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the truths and commandments that we treasure. Many listening today were part of that miraculous event. Initially, the broadcast was to originate in the Sacred Grove in upstate New York, where Joseph Smith testified that I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. That, brothers and sisters, Elder Razman testified, was a miracle. Well, the worldwide pandemic forced us to relocate the broadcast to Goshen, Utah, where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has recreated for filming a section of Old Jerusalem. Sister Rasman and I were within a few miles of Goshen that Sunday evening when we saw thick smoke coming from the direction of our destination. Wildfires were blazing in the area, and we worried that the broadcast might be at risk. Sure enough, at 20 minutes to 6, our broadcast time... The power in the entire complex went out. No power. No broadcast. There was one generator that someone thought might be able to power up, but there is no assurance that it could sustain the sophisticated equipment at hand. All of us on the program, including the narrators, musicians, and technicians, even 20 young adults from our own extended family, were fully invested in what was to take place. I stepped away from their tears and confusion and pleaded with the Lord for a miracle. Heavenly Father, I prayed, I have rarely asked for a miracle, but I am asking for one now. This meeting must happen for all of our young adults around the world. We need the power to go on, if it be thy will. Seven minutes after six o'clock, as quickly as the power had gone out, it came back on. Everything started working. From the music and microphones to the videos and all the transmission equipment were off and running. We had experienced a miracle. As Sister Rasman and I were in the car returning home later that evening, President Sister Nelson texted us with this message. Ron, we want you to know that as soon as we heard the power was out, we prayed for a miracle. Well, we know that that miracle happened and miracles happen in our lives. And I would invite everyone to have what I call kind of a miracle mindset. And the miracle mindset is that we see everything around us as miraculous. And we start to notice the small miracles in our lives. And we give credit to the Lord for those when they happen. Elder Razban added this in his talk. He said, miracles can come as answers to prayer. They are not always what we ask for or what we expect. But when we trust the Lord, he will be there and he will be right. He will suit the miracle to the moment we need it. He said then that the Lord performs miracles to remind us of his power, his love for us, his reach from the heavens to our mortal existence, and his desire to teach of that which is most worth. Now, once again, I would invite all of us to to begin to pray for eyes to see so that we can notice the wonderful miracles in our lives that abound. And once again, many of those miracles are often very small. Some are large, and that's great, but many are small. And to recognize those small miracles gives us great power and strength in our lives, especially when we notice how consistently they come. I want to share just a brief excerpt from another talk that Elder Rasman gave years ago called Our Rising Generation. It's one that I would recommend to all of you. He gave it as a member of the Quorum of the Seventy, but he, he wanted to let us know how important the rising generation is today, but also how we need to help 
the rising generation. Elder Rasband quoted President Hinckley, who at the time was the president of the church, who said that I have said many times that I believe we have the finest generation of young people that this church has ever known. They try to do the right thing. They are bright and able, clean and fresh, attractive and smart. They know what the gospel is about, and they are trying to live it, looking to the Lord for his guidance and help. And then Elder Rasband said, all of the uh, all of us who are involved in with these wonderful youth know the truth of President Hinckley's words. But then he said, Elder Henry B. Eyring of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles provides us with a somber warning, speaking of our youth, that many of them are remarkable in their spiritual maturity and in their faith, but even the best of them are sorely tested, and that testing will become more severe. Sometimes, People don't like it when we quote things that are old. And this particular quote from President Irene is 20 years old, but I love it. I love those quotes because that was almost exactly 20 years ago. And now it's prophecy, right? When President Irene says, and that testing will become more severe, just think what's happened since 2004. Here's what Elder Rasban says. That warning that the testing will become more severe gets my attention. Our rising generation is worthy of our best efforts to support and strengthen them in their journey to adulthood. But then he said this, In these perilous times, as our youth are faced with this increased adversity, we can learn from others. And the armed forces, particularly in all, in all the navies throughout the world, every seaman understands one phrase that is a clarion call for immediate help. No matter what he is doing or where he is on the ship, the call is all hands on deck. Many a battle at sea has been won or lost by the response to that call. We as members of the church, leaders of youth, anxious fathers, and concerned grandfathers, this is a priesthood meeting, by the way, all need to respond to the call for all hands on deck as it pertains to our youth and our young single adults. We must look for opportunities to bless the youth, whether or not we are currently closely associated with them. We must continue to teach and fortify fathers and mothers in their divinely declared roles with their children in the home. We must ask ourselves constantly if that extra supporting event or that extra activity or errand outside of the home is more important than families being together in the home. Now, I love the idea of all hands on deck, right? And here's Elder Razman, but he's also teaching something that I've believed for a long time, and that is this, that you don't have to have a calling in the youth program to minister to youth and to help youth and to strengthen and shore up youth. In fact, in my mind, every adult member of every ward should know who the youth are and should seek to find ways to bless them and and minister to them, even if it's the kind words. And I still remember as a brand new member of the church, a member of my bishopric, here I was, the only member of the church in my family, making my way the best that I could, 18 years old, And a member of the bishopric came up to me and just said something super kind. He gave me a great compliment, one that I've never forgotten, and that was over 40 years ago. But that compliment kept me going when I didn't believe in myself. And once again, it was a little investment, right? It didn't take that good brother much effort to say that, but he followed the Spirit and said what he said. And it made a huge difference in my life. We can take a great interest in the youth of our wards, even if it means just giving them kind words and compliments and praise. 
but also being there for them and letting sharing our testimony with them and doing whatever we can. The world is too crazy now for any of us to sit back and idly watch. Uh, things just shrivel and disintegrate before us. We need to be active participants, especially when it comes to blessing and helping save our youth. Another talk that I thought was so perfect for our day, Standing with the Leaders of the Church by Elder Rasband. You know, one of the things we talked about a minute ago was that devotional at Goshen with the with the fire and, and the power going out. But what some may remember if they saw that devotional was at the end, Elder Rasband had his children come up and his really his grandchildren come up. And he told us that those grandchildren were a great support to him. In fact, I'll quote him in this talk. He said, we have children, we have grandchildren. We are often meeting with youth all over the world. We're praying for you. And we're talking about you in the most sacred places and we love you. One of the ways that I stay connected to the youth that I teach at BYU is because I have children and grandchildren who are constantly telling us kind of what's up. And Elder Rasband is saying the same thing. He's teaching that principle that, look, our grandchildren... They brief us every week. They help us to understand your day and what's going on. And we pay close attention to the things that they say. Or in other words, I'm just trying to make a point that our leaders are not out of touch with the issues. And then he said this. He said, we have sustained leaders today who by divine inspiration have been called to teach and guide and who are calling us to be aware of the dangers that we face every day. From casual Sabbath day observance, to threats to the family, to assaults on religious freedom, and even disputing Latter-day Revelation, brothers and sisters, are we listening to their counsel, he said. And then he said this, the growing question of today is clear. Are you standing with the leaders of the church in a darkening world so that you might spread the light of Christ? And then he said that relationships with our leaders are important and significant. Now, it's just a wonderful talk. And uh, I'm so grateful for Elder Rasband and him as standing by the leaders of the church. And I hope that all of us can stand by all of them as they face so much ridicule and persecution today. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, and it's what this podcast is named after, is a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that says, Stand by my servant Joseph. I hope we stand by all of these servants and defend their good names and testify of their calls and of their great influence and power in our own lives. Let me conclude today with one more message. It was a talk that Elder Rasban gave called Be Not Troubled. And anytime our leaders talk about fear and anxiety, I'm really interested um, because I just think we live in that day and where there's so much fear and so much anxiety. And I love when our leaders address it because their counsel is always so helpful. He said that some years ago, one of our young married daughters and her husband asked Sister Rasband and me to me a very important life-influencing question. Is it still safe and wise to bring children into this seemingly wicked and frightening world that we live in? Now, I don't know anyone, especially if you're in your 20s, uh, even in your late teens, who hasn't thought about that before. In fact, not too many years ago, I was teaching a class at BYU called Introduction to Mormonism. I taught it for one semester because the professor who teaches it regularly was on leave and, and it gave me an opportunity to teach it. And it was great. You're in a class with a lot of people 
uh, mostly who are not members of the church. But one of those days, the lesson was about family, about marriage and parenting. And I'll never forget it. A girl from Israel raised her hand and she asked a great question. She said, why in the world would anyone want to bring children into this world? And I told her that was a great question, that many wonder that very thing. And that is the exact uh, exact issue that Elder Rasband is addressing. And by the way, might I just say to this generation, if anyone's listening, that even when I was a older teenager, 18, 19, 20 years old, that was even a question in those days. And that was back in the early 1980s. This fear has been among us for a long time. Here's what Elder Rasband said in response to that question that his children asked. Now, that was an important question for a mom and dad to consider with their dear married children. We could hear the fear in their voices and feel the fear in their hearts. Our answer to them was a firm, yes, it's more than okay, as we shared fundamental gospel teachings and our own heartfelt impressions and life experiences. And then listen to this. This is great. He said, fear is not new. The disciples of Jesus Christ out on the Sea of Galilee feared the wind, the waves, and the dark of the night. As his disciples today, we too have fears. Our single adults fear making commitments such as getting married. Young marrieds like our children can fear bringing children into this increasingly wicked world. Missionaries fear lots of things, especially approaching strangers. Widows fear going forward alone. Teenagers fear not being accepted. Grade schoolers fear the day of school. University students fear getting a test back. We fear failure, rejection, disappointment, and the unknown. We fear hurricanes and earthquakes and fires that ravage the land and our lives. We fear not being chosen. And on the flip side, we fear being chosen. We fear not being good enough. We fear that the Lord has no blessings for us. We fear change. And our fears can escalate to terror. And then Elder Rasband said, have I included just about everyone? And by the way, in one of my classes today, it's a class on the eternal family, we took a little survey. And the survey was, what would you say would be one of the number one reasons why people your age are not dating anymore? And the number one answer was fear. So we know that fear is so prevalent today. And then Elder Rasband said this, Since ancient times, fear has limited the perspective of God's children. I have always loved the account of Elisha in 2 Kings. The king of Syria had sent a legion that came by night and compassed the city about. Their intent was to capture and kill the prophet Elisha. We read, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? That was fear speaking. And Elisha answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And some of you, as you know that story, know, wait, it was just Elisha and a lad. What is he saying here? Mathematically, this doesn't add up, right? But he didn't stop there. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, Elder Rasband said this, We may or we may not have chariots of fire sent to dispel our fears and conquer our demons. But the lesson is clear. The Lord is with us, mindful of us, and blessing us in ways only He can do. Prayer can call down the strength and the revelation that we need. 
to center our thoughts on Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. The Lord knew that at times we would feel fear. I have been there and so have you, which is why the scriptures are replete with the Lord's counsel. And here's some of that example. Be of good cheer and do not fear. Or another verse, look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. Or another verse, fear not, little flock. Elder Rasmussen said, I love the tenderness of little flock. In this church, he said, we may be few in number, but the way the world counts influence, by the way the world counts influence, but when we open our spiritual eyes, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. How is fear dispelled? And this is what we're really interested in learning about in this talk by Elder Rasmand. For the young lad, he was standing right next to Elisha. A prophet of God, we have the same promise. When we listen to President Russell M. Nelson, when we hearken to his counsel, we are standing with a prophet of God. Remember the words of Joseph Smith. And now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him that he lives. Jesus Christ lives. And our love for him and his gospel dispel fear. Another one is this, that our desire to always have his spirit with us will push fear aside for a more eternal view of our mortal lives. You know, President Nelson has cautioned that, and by the way, I don't think there's anything quoted more from President Nelson than this, that in the coming days it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, and comforting and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Another remedy for fear from Elder Rasband, he said that we should stand in holy places and be not moved. He said a little bit more about that. He said, stand in those holy places. When we stand in holy places, our righteous homes, our dedicated chapels, our consecrated temples, we feel the Spirit of the Lord with us. We find answers to questions that trouble us or the peace to simply set them aside. That is the spirit of action. These sacred places in the kingdom of God on earth call for our reverence, our respect for others, our best selves, and living the gospel and our hopes to lay aside our fears and seek for the healing power of Jesus Christ through the atonement. In this message, Elder Rasban has a few more thoughts for dispelling fear in our lives. One of them, he says, is to be not troubled. He said, no matter how much wickedness and chaos fill the earth, we are promised by our daily faithfulness in Jesus Christ, the peace of God, which passeth, passeth all understanding. And when Christ comes in all power and glory, evil rebellion and injustice will end. Another one, he said, another one to help dispel fear is that remember that they that be with us on both sides of the veil, those who love the Lord with all their heart, might, mind, and strength are more than they that be with them. If we actively trust in the Lord and his ways, if we are engaged in his work, we will not fear the trends of the world or be troubled by them. I plead with you, he said, to set aside worldly influences and pressures and seek spirituality in your daily life. Love what the Lord loves, which includes his commandments, his holy houses, our sacred covenants with him, the sacrament, eat Sabbath day, our communication through prayer, and you will not be troubled, he said. That's a great promise for an apostle. And then the last point, he said, trust in the Lord and his promises. I know that all his promises will be fulfilled. I know it as firmly as I stand here before you in this sacred meeting. The Lord revealed that for they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, 
They shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. This is why we shouldn't be troubled by the turmoil of today, by those in the great and spacious building, by those who scoff at honest effort and dedicated service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Optimism, courage, even charity come from a heart not burdened by troubles or or turmoil. President Nelson, who is optimistic about the future, has reminded us that if we are to have any hope of sifting through the myriad of voices and the philosophies of men that attack truth, we must learn to receive revelation. And then Elder Rasband concludes this way. He said, now what about that daughter and son-in-law who asked the very heartfelt and probing fear-based question years ago? They seriously considered our conversation that night. They prayed and fasted and came to their own conclusions. Happily and joyfully for them and for us, the grandparents, they have now been blessed with seven beautiful children as they go forward in faith and love. Then Elder Razban said, Take heart, brothers and sisters. Yes, we live in perilous times, but as we stay on the covenant path, we need not fear. I bless you that as you do so, do what? To stay on the covenant path. You will not be troubled by the times in which we live or the troubles that come your way. I bless you to choose to stand in holy places and be not moved. I bless you to believe in the promises of Jesus Christ, that he lives and that he is watching over us, caring for us and standing by us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, he said. I love that. I love that our apostles teach doctrine. They invite us to do something and they promise blessings and elder pattern, elder Rasband follows that pattern perfectly. We started today by talking about the concept of by divine design, and maybe we can finish today with kind of that similar pattern, because once again, maybe for me, one of the key ingredients to overcoming fear in our lives is just recognizing God's hand in the details and just knowing that he's there. So I'll just share with you a story that I wrote kind of in my own journal, and and uh, this is how I preserved it with some exact details. But during the early morning hours of April the 10th, 2013, I was driving my minivan down the hill from where I live. Yep, a minivan. I was on my way to the gym where I work out. And as I came towards the bottom of our hill, and by the way, the bottom of our hill tees, it goes into a tee. And on the other side of that tee, there was a woman who was sitting in the grass waving desperately to get my attention. As I drove my car towards her, I can tell the woman was a jogger by what she was wearing. I pulled up next to her, rolled my window down, and asked if she was okay. She said, no, I think I broke my leg. Now, even though I'm not a doctor, I took one look at her awkwardly bent leg and said, yeah, I think you're right. I think that leg is broken. The woman then asked if she could borrow my cell phone to call her husband. I told her I didn't have my phone with me, but I'd be happy to take her home. She seemed happy by th- at that invitation, so I helped her into my car, and we began the short drive to her home. As we d- drove, I learned that she was preparing to run a marathon, and I also discovered that she had slipped on some ice that had ran across the sidewalk, and that was the cause of her accident. Now, by the way, this was April, and uh, someone had their sprinklers on, so the sprinklers were going uh, over- overnight, but then it was cold enough to freeze, and there was just an ice, ice patch on that sidewalk. I was amazed at how strong this tough this woman was. Her leg was obviously broken, but instead of being in shock, she and I had a nice conversation as we drove. Now, no question, she was in pain. I could tell by her huffing and her puffing, you know, kind of between sentences that she was in pain. I was trying to distract her from it. I told her that my name was Mark and that she told me that her name was Rebecca. 
She told me that she was worried that I would be late for work. And I told her that I taught at BYU and that if I was a little late because I was helping a woman get to the hospital, that I'm sure my department chair would understand. She then told me that her husband also taught at BYU in the business department and that his name was Dan. By this time, we had pulled up to her home about 7 a.m. and I knew that I would have to knock hard on the front door to wake up her family. Within a minute or two, he came to the door bewildered by why, why I was standing at the front porch. I said, Dan, I'm Mark, and I'm sorry to wake you up this early, but your wife broke her leg and while she was jogging, and she's in my car. Now talk about waking up quickly. Dan went to his wife and tended to her, and then we found a way to transport her from my car to their car so that Dan could rush her to the emergency room. As I was about to leave, I said, Dan, if you need anything, let me know. I, I also teach at BYU, so we're in this together. Dan said, what was your name again? And I said, Mark Ogletree. And instantly, Rebecca began to weep and practically fell into my arms. She said, oh my gosh, you're Mark Ogletree? I said, yes. And she hugged me for dear life. <laughs> she said, I'm Rebecca Shahan. I was your, in your seminary class at the Mountain View Seminary in Mesa, Arizona for two years. I said, wow, Rebecca, I can't believe that. We hugged and tears were shed. I not only do remember that Rebecca was in my seminary class, but I said, Rebecca... Not only that, we were in the same ward. And she was like, oh, yeah, anyway. And so we were good friends with the, with the parents. In fact, I served with Rebecca's dad as we were ward missionaries together. She said, after I injured my leg and fell to the ground, I tried to stop several people, but they just kept driving. I can't believe that the person that helped me was my seminary teacher. I couldn't believe it either. When I began teaching Rebecca back in the early 1990s, she was a bubbly and energetic teenager, and I was in my early 30s with a wife and several young children. Now Rebecca had teenage children of her own, and I was a grandfather. Needless to say, we both looked a little bit different than we did back in those days. If I wouldn't have helped Rebecca, I know that someone else would have, but I'm grateful that the Lord allowed me to be in the right place at the right time. If I would have left my home 10 minutes earlier or later, I probably would have missed out on that wonderful experience. Because of this accident, our families have been reunited and have enjoyed each other's company. In fact, my wife and I were at a BYU football game this year. We sat in our seats, and who was right next to us? Rebecca, Dan, and their family. Rebecca did have to have surgery on her leg and, and had to spend many months recuperating. But she's probably running again, and that's one of the great miracles. This is a gospel of connection. The Lord is in the details of our lives. I know that he is. I'm grateful for Elder Rasband and for his teachings about divine design. I'm grateful for him as a prophet, seer, and revelator. I'm grateful that he's taught us to stand by the Lord's servants and that the Lord is in the details of our lives, that there are miracles among us. I'm grateful for this wonderful man and his wife and their family who is, who have standed strong, who stand strong in the face of opposition, and who have been great, wonderful leaders and teachers. And I know that if we follow their counsel and their teachings, that we'll be safe. Thank you so much for being with me today. I look forward to being with you next time. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.